And then the, the doctor walks in, the doctor who had said that she was 99% sure that there was nothing wrong, and she walked in and sat down and um, just said, I'm sorry, you're right, there's something wrong with your bowel, it's cancer. And it's, and it's, gone, and it's gone into your liver as well. I've got stage four bowel cancer. We're going to talk about everything from my diagnosis to treatment and how things are going right now. Talk about the things that people might be curious or want to hear but are too frightened to ask. That's Joe McKenzie McLean and I'm Colleen O'Hanlon. We've been mates and colleagues at Stuff for 20 years. Since her diagnosis, Joe's been incredibly open about her illness on social media, and in this podcast, she wants to go further. So I'm just hoping that what we do here can just help people who are on that journey, whether they've got cancer or not, and make them feel that, you know, that they're not alone. I'm going to be with Joe every step of the way. There will be tears and laughter. She'll also offer practical insights, support and hope. This, then, is the story of Joe versus cancer. Joe, hi. <laughs> hi, hi, Colleen. Um, so we've got quite a big task ahead, but I thought before we crack on with that, we'd maybe talk about why we're here together. And um, I thought I could start with giving you my recollection of our first meeting, which was um, before I had children. So I'm reckoning it's nearly 20 years ago. And it was at an underground bar on um, Litchfield Lanes, which were just been opened after I'd they were refurbished, and it was like an opening night for media. And you were friends with, I think, Louise. Who, do you remember Louise, who was a reporter here and who went off to? Yeah, yeah Louise. Yeah, yeah, she's a good friend of mine. Yeah. So I think I knew her from the office, and then you arrived, this leggy blonde bombshell with a megawatt smile and like massive personality. And just lit up the room. And I think that was that's my first recollection from you. And I think you're really, you know, you still embody that as far as I'm concerned. Aww. And then I think we had lots of parallels in our life. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've got a terrible memory and I don't remember that at all. No, I don't expect you to, I think I was a lot more forgettable than you were. <laughs> I, but I do remember working with you in the office when I moved into the press, which was your, the press newsroom 20 years ago. Um, and I remember being kind of in awe of your reporting. You know, I, I was a new reporter and I felt like you were sort of ah, someone classic. I inspired to be like. <laughs> and you, yeah, and you also had a, a loud personality and were fun and, a, and had a big smile, but you were a, a, a really um, heads down. Oh my God, that's so great to know. Like, I worked hard. Yeah, well, yeah, and um, yeah. So you know, as a new reporter, you looked to the sort of the sort of more seniors in the office, and you were some someone that I did inspire to be like. And I was, you know, obviously drawn to your personality as well. So which is why it was naturally yeah. we became friends, I guess. And and, and I remember us connecting over um, being married, and neither of us had been married that long. In fact, I think you might have got married after I met you, even. And then um, I was a couple of years ahead of you having babies and I remember hanging out, me joyfully offloading all my baby stuff to you um, when you were about to have... Um, Travis. Travis, yep. Uh, and then, then there was those other kind of similarities, marriage, babies, divorce, dating and all the kind of laughs, shits and giggles that came with that, right? And I think that that was so, you know, 
our lives had a lot of parallels mm. until this point when they didn't. You know, yeah, I was just going to say, and I think um, we don't. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, that's what really, I guess, why we're here today, right? Is that uh, there's some parts of your situation I can really identify with, but others that are really personal to you. And I think um, I'm excited to help you share your journey. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you're doing this with me. <laughs> that's why we're here. Yeah. So what are we here to do? Well, I guess um, we're here to talk about my experience um, with cancer. I've got stage four bowel cancer. Um, and, you know, we're going to talk about everything from my diagnosis to treatment and how things are going right now. Um, talk about the things that I guess people might be curious or want to hear, but too frightened to ask, you know, I'm an open book and I um, just through having, um, you know, since my diagnosis and I've been quite vocal about what's been happening with me and I've received lots and lots of um, comments from people I don't know, people who have got cancer, people who don't have cancer and there is a real interest in what I'm going through and a lot of people have thanked me for sharing what I've already written about or done on my Facebook page because you know there's it's not something that that's out there but people don't necessarily want to talk about it you know and so there's you know just even simple things and I've been quite shocked at just yeah even people who have got cancer who just sort of go into themselves and don't know how to speak out or, you know, they may not want to, not everyone wants to talk about their experience and that's fine, but I've just found it therapeutic for me and it's been helpful for other people. So I'm just hoping that what we do here um, can just, I guess, help people who are on that journey, whether they've got cancer or not, and just make them feel that, you know, that they're not alone and some of these things that I'm going through just, you know, might might help them and help them get through it. And their support crew. And their support crew, yeah. you know, you, you make that point that, you know, people don't want to talk about it, but it, I've wondered whether it's not that people don't want to talk about it, they don't know how to ask about it in a way that is not hurtful or offensive or disrespectful in some fashion because it's new ground for a lot of people, right? You know, and it's a delicate subject. And I think um, I, you know, really I could see that you were a podcast in waiting when I watched a piece of content on your Facebook page around you know, what not to say to somebody about their cancer prognosis. And I think it's just really practically useful advice for the, you know, hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders who will be supporting somebody in their life or in their community who is battling cancer, whatever kind it might be. I think those people get forgotten about too a little bit, you know, just I know with people around me, you know, my parents and my partner and just even children, they sometimes get a little bit lost in, you know, not not pushed back, but I've become the the focus and they're also going through their own grief mm. and their own struggles and, um, you know, so it's important. I think about your mum a lot, actually, you know, like and, and that I can see the relationship between you is incredibly special, but also you're her precious daughter and, you know, you've written about having lost your brother in the past and I feel like for your mother, you know, I, I think, and as a mum myself and, you know, that's something... Um, not a situation that any any of us ever imagined having to face when we give birth to beautiful babies, right? You know, so I haven't forgotten about her. I think about her a lot. <laughs> um, so let's go back to the beginning. You know, like um, I remember you as you know, like um, 
when you move down to move down south, down to Cromwell, you know, picture of good health, running up mountains, you know, basically, you know, rosy cheeks, you know, like living your best life down there. Um, and that's, I think, how, um, you know, am I right in thinking, you know, that's how you were, and then yeah. what happened? Yeah, so, um, you know, I just had my second child. I was... Um, I joined the gym, I wanted to get back into fitness and an active lifestyle and I was training with uh, a couple of friends, a, 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 a friend of mine, Terry, down there who runs ultramarathons and other events was keen to, to grab a, a woman who had just had a baby who had a sort of averagey body and wanted to show people that they could be capable of running ultramarathons and doing amazing things. And so I started actually writing about this experience. I remember, yeah. Yeah, in the paper. I was and jealous. <laughs> <laughs> but I just had this amazing support, and I never thought I could do an ultramarathon, you know. I, that, I never thought that I could do some of the things that I did. But I had this little crew around me who um, had me yeah, running, running up mountains and – Central Otago landscapes, and um, they were really tough. And then I got injured. I had a labral tear. And then from there, so that was probably, oh God, um, I'm trying to think of the time. time frame. So we're in 2022 um, now. Would that have been maybe like 17, 2017? Yeah, probably about that. Yeah. And then... From there, I just didn't come right. I had a labral tear and then I, I was sort of was struggling with that a bit and then I, yeah, got back sort of on track and then started going back to the gym again and um, getting really fit and I joined this, uh, I, d I did a program for, you know, how they do 20-week challenges or yeah. whatever. So I did that and... I have photos of my body transforming and I was, again, lifting weights and running and doing really well and I ended up actually winning this gym competition. And just after I won the competition, I, I was walking and I, the dog and my knee was really sore and I just couldn't, um, yeah, I just, it just wouldn't come right. And then I just woke up one morning and my hand was really sore and I went to the doctor and they said it um, was probably just sprained or something or they didn't really know what was wrong. But from there, I mean, I think that's unrelated, but... Um, it was the beginning of a catalogue yes, of things. Yes, yeah. it just start, it just, I just started to have health problems in my body. So my knee, I, then I started to get like this random pain in my wrist and over the course of maybe like a year, I went and got in steroid injections in my knee. That I had a little tear, but there was no explanation for why it was so sore and swelling up and all of this stuff. And um, in the meantime, I also started having um, funny bowel movements. And so this is 2018. And I'm assuming they weren't actually funny. No, <laughs> That you, what you like unusual, unusual, yeah, unusual, unusual bowel movements, and just feeling extremely fatigued. Like really, I remember driving to jobs and 
just just feeling completely whacked. But then at that point, I had separated from my husband. I was a single mum. I had a busy life, and so you know, lots I was, of good reasons to feel fatigued yeah. and drained. Yeah, but I mean, and the I was keep I was going to the doctors. Um, I felt like I was going to the doctor all the time, saying I'm really tired. I think my my iron's low, or something is wrong. I've got this, this pain in my knee that's not going away. I've got this and this and this, and so I was going to the doctor, and then yeah, I did. And in 2018, I went back and um, said that I had my bowel movements were different, and um, they and I had said I was worried about my bowel and that my uncle had not long been diagnosed with bowel cancer and my nana had um, also had bowel cancer. She had, she actually died from bowel cancer. And How old were you at that time, Joe? So In 2018. I'm 44. Yeah, so you, so you would have been about 40. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't remember all the details of that visit, but I do, I've, I've, I've I got my medical notes. I've since got copies of my medical notes, so it's on record. But um, they they said that I didn't fit the criteria or the criteria for a colonoscopy. I had asked for a colonoscopy, and um, then later that year, I think it was the November, I went back again and said that I still had um, my bowel movements were still not normal, uh, and once again I asked for a colonoscopy and they, for some reason, you know, they, they said that that I didn't fit, I didn't have all the symptoms for the colonoscopy and, yeah, it was declined. They, yeah, they said that I, um, yeah, didn't fit the criteria. There's a criteria of that they go through, you know, have you got blood in your feces? Have you got this? Have you got that? And I didn't have blood in my feces. Mm. Um, but and, then I, I've, yeah. And does it matter like that um, in terms of family relations, is it like parents and siblings would go up, the get you a tick in the box, but uncles and grandparents are out, right. a ring further out. Is yeah. it right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. If, it, if it had been my mum yeah. or dad or whatever, then that would have helped ticked one of those boxes. Yeah. But because it was, yeah, a relation that was further out. And, I mean, at that point I didn't really understand all of that. I just trusted what the doctors said and, you know, I was already feeling like a hypochondriac because I was going for all these other things. And so, you know, there could be lots of explanations, I guess, why you might have a um, – have your bowel movements might be different. I was taking drugs for pain for other things. So um, that can sometimes cause – Bell move, oh bell yeah, yeah, yeah. Upsets your so, systems in other ways, right? Yeah. So certainly, um, yeah. So I went away, and um, yeah. But but between then and my actual diagnosis, I had gone back. You know, I'd never been slack about my health, and at one point, I had I'd been given a um, mammogram, mammogram because I thought something was going on strangely there, and I got that easy. Uh, they, there was no trouble getting that. And also then I had uh, ultrasound. Um, I was bleeding a lot. And so they, they gave me an ultrasound uh, just to check if everything was okay down there. And that wasn't a problem. But yeah. for some reason, <laughs> I, you know, for some reason I, I couldn't get a colonoscopy, but yet I could get all these other things yeah. for my health. And I just I just was so confused as to why there was this. Why the criteria is so much harder to meet. Yeah, why 
I just I just didn't understand it, and I guess I should have pushed harder for it. But I trusted what the doctors, their yes. doctors' advice, and um, yeah, went away. But then um, I did start having. And I wonder now, in hindsight, whether this was a symptom of the cancer. I'd had a couple of instances where I'd been quite short of breath and I had gone to the doctor about it. Um, and it was really weird. I had an episode not long before my diagnosis in a restaurant in Queenstown and I wish I'd called the ambulance they were going to and I couldn't breathe and I thought I was having a panic attack. But, yeah, where, where my tumour was sitting, it was sitting at the top of... Yep. My bowel, which is why there was, I've since found out there was probably no blood on my faces because where the tumour was actually, it was sitting up up at the top. And um, I don't know, I had I had this kind of pain and short of shortness of breath. I don't know whether that's related or not, but um, there I had a few of those that I went to the doctor about. So, you know, I was going to the doctor a lot. Yeah. And then what changed that you went back again? Um, so... Around, so 2019, December 2019, I started getting, feeling sick, like feeling, having stomach cramps and just feeling quite unwell. And then the pain and frequency got got worse, but it happened quite quickly. You know, it was over about a six-week period, but it... Um, yeah, quite quickly. And I'd been at a friend's place for a barbecue and had uh, had really bad stomach pains. And I went to the doctor and she thought, well, maybe it's food poisoning or a gastro bug or whatever. So I went home and it, it didn't get better. It got worse. And I couldn't go to the toilet and I started vomiting um, and... I rang my parents at one in the morning and I said that... Um, and your par- you were in Cromwell and your parents were in Invercargill at this point? No, they live in Cromwell. Oh, right, okay. So yep. they moved to Cromwell when my daughter was born to help me with um, daycare. <laughs> and uh, we rang the health line and spoke to a GP who was on call who had looked at my records and saw that I'd been at the doctor and that it was suspected that it was probably just a gastro thing. And she's like, well, at this time of night, they're not going to do much for a gastro um, bug or whatever. But if it gets worse, just go down um, to Clyde Hospital, which was about a 10-minute drive away. So got off the phone and then... um, we ended up going down to the hospital, basically, and they admitted me, and it was about one in the morning, two in the morning, and he did a few scans, and he suspected, the doctor suspected the gallstones, yep. and um, wasn't sure what else was going on, but he said they'd do checks in the morning, and so um, the, by the time the morning came around, the doctor at the hospital there um Hey, did they at that point think? Did you have to ask for a colonoscopy then? Did they no. offer it? No. So the colonoscopy part was sort of over and done with. That wasn't on the radar. The tests that they were going to do were sort of um, like scans and stuff. Yep. But I didn't. I didn't get any scans. I 
because I wasn't going to the toilet, they'd given me some enemas and laxatives and that hadn't worked. Um, I was still blocked up. I sort of came right, my tummy came right in the morning and, um, yeah, and then I got discharged. That's when the the doctor came around in the morning rounds and said, asked me how my stomach was feeling and I kind of... Um, Self-examined. Self-examined and had said that it was okay and um, it felt all right. And so he had said, well, that's good enough for me. It's probably, um, Mm. you know, it might have probably been a reaction to arthritis drugs or, yeah, gastro. And um, he discharged me and I had said, well, I'm really worried about my bowel movements. Could you refer me for a colonoscopy? And... He laughed and said, well, that's not usually something people ask for because they're really unpleasant. And I was like, well, it's better than the alternative. But um, anyway, he I didn't get the colonoscopy referral and he told me if I you know, got into pain again, I was just to go back to the GP. So that's what so I did. Three times you asked for a colonoscopy referral and yeah. three times told no. Yeah. And then I ended up going back to the GP the next day. Still in pain. Same GP? Yeah. And she gave me, I was crying, and she gave me drugs for stomach cramps and sent me home. And, again, that pain last night was horrendous. And I remember thinking, you know, there's something seriously wrong. The the pain felt worse than it did when I was in labour. It was just, I couldn't move. I was hunched over. I couldn't eat, I couldn't go to the toilet and I was vomiting up nothing. You know, I just, it was really, really awful. And so I took mum back to the doctor the next day and that's when I got a different doctor. I got a locum from Wanaka who was in there and a young doctor. And as soon as she saw me, she examined me and was on the phone to Dineen Hospital saying I needed a CT scan and that I was presenting with X, Y and Z. I don't know, it didn't take long, it was only about 10 minutes, but... I felt like I was being listened to and felt like it was Action. being... Action. Yeah. Things were happening. So, yeah, so I had to go back to Dunedin, uh, Clyde Hospital for a CT scan and she warned me then that they'd do their own assessment on me. But she said, if they don't do the scan that you need, don't... Um, she said, don't don't take that. She said, just go straight down to Dunedin Hospital because they're expecting you. And sure enough, I got to the hospital where they did their assessment and they weren't going to give me a CT. They thought that I was fine. And we were like, well, call Dunedin Hospital because they're expecting me. We came here for a CT scan. And so, um, and I'd mentioned something about my rheumatologist. So she rang the hospital and also rang the um, my rheumatologist and came back and she said, you're getting this scan um, you know, I've spoken to your rheumatologist and she thinks the drugs you're on could affect your liver and you need a CT scan to see if anything's right. suspicious. But it was because of that that I got the scan. Yeah, so at that point they agreed to a scan but they weren't looking for cancer. No. They were thinking there might be an impact from other medication you were taking for rheumatoid arthritis. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, and she said there's 99%. I'm 99% sure there'll be nothing wrong. But at this point I was thinking, hmm, I thought I might have had a twisted bowel. I thought I thought there was definitely something wrong with my bowel, and I was like, I think it's a twisted bowel. I never thought cancer. I never thought cancer at all. That never ever crossed my mind, at all. And yeah, and so 
I had the scans and she said that um, she couldn't see them all because there was a hold-up. The person before me had had 100 images taken and there was a hold-up, but she said, um, yeah, that she, she was 99% sure that there was nothing wrong and she said, you can stay tonight if you want or you can go home and come back in the morning. But, you know, so I went home. It was mum's birthday the next day and we thought, oh, well, we'll go, go and go out for morning tea or lunch, we'll call into the hospital, we'll get the results for the scan and then we'll go out. So that was the plan. So, um, Oh, my God, what a day of extremes. Oh, my God. It's such a long-winded story. Like, mm. It's probably quite painful to try and put the timeline together, but um, it's just it, it's because I was going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and, you know, it's... Mm. I, th- I think that's one thing that we should touch on whether now or later, but... Um, and we have briefly talked about it before, but that idea of, you know, really having to advocate for your own health in the system and um, you know, acknowledging that you you were capable of doing that and had the support of your mum to do it. But not everybody, you know, not everybody can have those difficult conversations with doctors and medical professionals who are in, um, I guess, positions of the experts, right? So, you know, it's that kind of, um, it's quite a tough conversation to come up against, I think. Yeah, and you start feeling like a hypochondriac. And I'm a strong woman. Mm. You know, I don't sit back and, you know, I was going to the doctor multiple times. Um, so, yeah, I get frustrated frustrated with myself now and I think back, God, I should have I should have pushed harder and I should have um, gone to another doctor, changed doctors or done something, you know, because... It, because time, time matters. Time, yeah, yeah. My story might be a lot different, and it just it breaks my heart to think that I'd been trying really hard and getting turned away, or you know, like they just think that just because I appeared as a fit and healthy young woman, that um, you know, cancer it didn't warrant investigation. Yeah, and I'm telling them that my uncle has bowel cancer, my nana has it, and you know, I'm having problems with my bowel. Like, just because I don't tick five of the boxes, um, it's just not right. Mm. You shouldn't have to, um, I don't know. Like, I mean, not, and, and it, you know, that doctor laughed and said people don't, people don't ask for these colonoscopies because they're not pleasant. And, and yes, okay, so that's another reason why if someone goes to the doctor saying, I feel like I really need one, there's something not right. You're not asking for a good time. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like. It's somebody who's a headline, yeah, yeah. you're not asking for a good time. Yeah. So, God, they can't have that many people going saying, can I please have a colonoscopy? There's, it's not like there's a queue at the door. Of, <laughs> like, so, um, so what happened on the morning then? So tell, tell me how the, the morning went. You got oh. up for morning tea for your mum's birthday. Yeah, and drove to the hospital, smiling, and you know I wasn't I wasn't in any any pain, and um, we got there, and I was like, you know, Joe Joe McKenzie McLean here for you know CT scan results, and the do- the nurse was like, her face just kind of gave something away, gave, and then the, she called a nurse, and this male nurse came to get us, and he walked about 20 metres in front of us and didn't even talk to us and then sort of ushered us to this room where I had not been. It wasn't in the ward. It was in this ambulance 
bay waiting room where the helicopter lands to take people away. And Mum Did and you I, feel like it was a room where people got bad news? Yes. You, right. Well, or I started to get worried mm. because I was like, why am I in this weird mm. room? And and Mum said, oh, it's probably just because we're going to be in and out. And I said, well, or it could be because it's bad news and they're going to whisk me away to Dunedin Hospital. Like, why am I in this room? And it was early in the morning, so... Um, you know, and I was sitting there and I was looking around and it was awful. It was an awful room. They had the rubbish bins were all full. They hadn't been cleaned and they were full of tissues. And I just it was really Anxiety was, levels are high. Yeah. And then the, the doctor walks in, the doctor who had said that she was ninety nine percent sure that there was nothing wrong and she walked in and sat down and um just said, I'm sorry, you're right, there's something wrong with your bowel, it's cancer. And it's and it's gone and it's gone into your liver as well. And what happened in that moment between you and your mum? I was sitting on the bed and mum was sitting on a chair, and mum's face, like her jaw, just dropped and her eyes like bulged out of her head. And I just felt like, well, I lost my breath and just felt like I had been. I felt like everything actually kind of like like got sucked out of my body and I was almost looking down on myself. I was quite dizzy. <laughs> and I was like, she was talking and I couldn't hear her and I was just watching this from a, a bird's eye view and then it kind of all just, everything kind of went back into place and I said, am I going to die? Because you hear cancer and you of think course death. you do. And I was like, am I going to die? And then she said, it doesn't look good. And then I just started crying and mum was hysterical and I was sobbing and crying and um, and then, yeah, and she got, and I, rem- I just remember she got, she got up and, um, and left us there. Um, Oh, Joe, I my, cannot even imagine what would be going through your mind. Like a scramble of thoughts about your family and children. Well, as when she said it doesn't look good, you know, all, all, all that I could think about then was my kids, you know, Travis and Morgan, and, like, just... It's so hard to explain the feeling of getting told that you've got cancer and then to make it worse that you could potentially die. And the shock and just the... It was just shock and just the... And I, and I was... Yeah, I had... The, the image of my children and me not being here and um and the, and then like the anger of it all and just disbelief like there was just a whirlwind of um a whirlwind of emotion and we were just yeah just like just left there sobbing and I kind of thought later, what a horrible way to tell someone they've got cancer. And I've heard of worse stories than that. And I thought, you know, they really could have sat us in a family room, somewhere nice, had a counsellor, someone who who was there that could sit there with us and just 
you know, not deliver the news so clinically. And mm. I kind of was like, well. I wonder if that's maybe part of their coping mechanism, you know, like it's, um, it's, <clears throat> if it's part of your job to maybe deliver that kind of news to people on the regular, news that you know is of an enormous magnitude for them, maybe as <clears throat> people in emergency services do sometimes, it's a way of self-protection, yeah, you know, maybe. possibly. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I've I've heard of quite a, quite a few stories of of just that – News being delivered in quite a a, a cold way because, of, and I also thought it was a bit premature to be telling me just as soon as I've had cancer that when if I'm asking am I going to die and she says it doesn't look good. I mean, she's not an oncologist. I mean, she's a doctor. Yes, she's. Um, it's also quite a flippant comment about something that's so massive. You know, like it, it's uh, you you may be right. Maybe that's a conversation to happen a bit later. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, like that's what I I sort of thought, and it's kind of like, well, like even now, I don't want to think that it doesn't look good. You're going to die, you know. Mm. I'm kind of like, well, don't take away my hope, or um, like as soon as you've delivered the news, don't don't take. Like I just think that that wasn't appropriate, especially then, when mindset is an incredibly important part of your journey. Yeah, right. You know. And I mean, she, she, at that point, I didn't know that my liver was inoperable, but, you know, it could have been that the lesions were in a place where, you know, I, I could have had an operation because, you know, livers regenerate and you only apparently need a third of a clean liver to survive. So there was every chance that they could have operated on my liver. I don't know, but it, yeah, I just, I thought it was um, unnecessary to have said that to me and it really upset me. So once you know your mum and your mum and yourself are left there, and obviously an incredibly distressing situation, then what? Like you're just expected to pack up and go home, or you're admitted to hospital, or what's happened? So, um, mum, mum ran after the the doctor at that point and just said, "Well, what's happening?" And that, and so it, it turned out that. I my I had a tumor that was blocking my bowel that needed I needed um, surgery immediately, so I was admitted to hospital and I had to wait. Um, there was a bed blockage at Dunedin Hospital, so there were uh, a few of us at Clyde that were waiting to get the okay to be able to go to Dunedin, so they admitted me for the night and. Um, So were you in hospital yeah. by yourself that night? Did your mum stay with you? What's, no. My, where are the kids? The kids were with their step... Uh, with their the dad. The kids were with their dad. And my partner, Michael, Michael. was with me. And um, my parents were eventually... They they were there, but they eventually left. Um, and I I had a friend turn up with just some things. Chantal came and get, turned up with some things for me, and um, but eventually, yeah, it was just Michael and I, and we we were in a a room at the end of the hospital, like a family room, and I just I just lay awake, and we just lay on the bed together, and I just cried. 
I'm sure he did too. And, of course he would. And just thought about just, yeah, we're processing what we'd just been told and, um, you know, like in the, the, the shock was kind of wearing off and then I kind of ended up just focusing on right, getting this tumour out of me and I thought, right, well, let's get the, let's get the tumour out, let's have the surgery and see where we go from there. And a nurse had come in and it was a woman that I'd done a story on a few years earlier and she, the nurses were really lovely and she came up to me and gave me a hug and she said, oh, Joe, she said, I, I saw your file on the desk and I thought, oh, no, not you. And she gave me this hug and I was kind of like, oh, God, it must be bad. <laughs> you know, she was like... Yeah, and she gave me this big hug. And anyway, I she ended up giving me these. Um, I ended up getting on a. They ended up having a gap, and I got on a a bus at an ambulance transport van at, at six in the morning. They came rushing in and said, "Get dressed. We've we've got. There's a gap. We've, we're getting you on a on a." car and a in an ambulance. In an ambulance. Um, so it all happened in a bit of a hurry. And this nurse that had given me this hug, she said, oh, the ride's really awful. Um, she, and she, I was in a bit of pain. She, she was like, oh, because I started feeling a bit woozy. And she was like, oh, I've given you something just to make the ride a bit easier. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I stood up and I was like, oh, what's happening? <laughs> So I was like, oh, thanks for that. So I don't know what you gave me, but it was it was good. <laughs> so, um, so what happened? So you're on your way to Dunedin. You're off to have surgery. Kids are with their dad. At what point? And at what point are the kids told that mum's not well? And what are they told? And who tells them? Um, well, they knew I wasn't well because I'd been having stomach pain and I'd been in and out of hospital and doctor's appointments and stuff. So I don't know what – I actually don't know what they were told at that point because I was in an ambulance yeah. and, and and all of that. But um, we were just saying that I had a sore stomach and the doctors were trying to help me. So they didn't know that I had cancer or the diagnosis at that point. Um, but when I got to hospital – in Dunedin, and I was waiting for surgery. Um, you know, they, they've, I'd been away from home for a couple of days at this point, and they were getting quite anxious about where I was and why I wasn't coming home and why were they having to stay at Dad's. And um, so Steve, my ex-husband, actually drove them to see, to, you. To see me. And uh, I had a room on my own, thank goodness, in the hospital, and... They they sat and... Um, and how old were they then, Joe? Like seven and nine maybe, something like that? Uh, yeah, something, something yeah. like that. And they were just... They just climbed up on the bed and were cuddling me and they were drawing pictures. The walls at the hospital were really cold and Bleak. bare <laughs> and we I had some paper and some pens there so they started drawing pictures for me to colour the walls up and um, 
that that was really hard having them in the hospital because like it was really good but it was really really hard I was really scared about um very confronting telling them yeah and just and looking at them and thinking oh my god like What does they the were, future look like? For yeah, them? yeah, and they they are all oblivious to the seriousness of what was happening, and I was trying to keep it calm and be like, "Oh, I've got something in my tummy that needs operated on, but it, you know, well, it'll be fine." And but not using the c word. Oh God, yeah. no! Like and yeah, so that that was that was really difficult because i think after getting the news i just kind of got on a bit of a you know i was just like right well let's get the operation done and let's like i was just trying to break things into pieces and just not get too overwhelmed with getting told i just had this news and then but yeah just having having the kids there was really hard and just i started thinking about the future then and thinking about um worrying about them because we live, you know, I've been separated for five years and I have, I'm have i the primary caregiver and, um, you know, we have like a tight little family unit that... Um, You're the centre of the universe. Yeah. And, yeah, and just the idea of not being there for them... Um, and and even it's, even oh, okay. you know acknowledging too that that even you know however your journey goes it's a hard journey you know like even you having treatment is hard on them right it's not just the long term future and what that might look like it's the immediate future for them too the worry about mum and the now and you know mum's having an operation and people seem worried and they're so attuned to those kind of subliminal signals that we all give out yeah yeah. And, and I, yeah, I try and keep it as um, as normal as mm. possible. Yeah, and chill, and just try and keep the, keep the household running um, as normal. But it's not normal, and you know, there's been this is skipping forward a bit. But you know, they there's been days. You know, I can't I can't get out of bed, or you know, they have to help me with with simple tasks like getting dressed and you know life isn't normal and and I remember thinking it was like when I got told that my brother was had died and from that point on life is never going to be the same you know I'm never going to see my brother again and the shock of that it was similar it was like I've been told this news that I've got cancer and it's in my liver and it's and it's really bad. It's like my life from that point, yeah, my life as I know it has changed forever and is, um, yeah. And as a mum, single parent, your children are on that train with you, yeah. really, right? Yeah. And they're still so young, you know, they're still so young and... Um, Precious. They're precious. And, yeah, and they still rely on me. You know, they're just, you know, I don't want them to grow up without me. You know, I don't want them to have to grow up without a mum. And they're the sort of, you know, things that go through your head at night. And what were, that, that's what was going through my head in the hospital. And, 
um, you know. I remember you um, a couple of, and this wasn't immediately after your diagnosis, it was maybe a few months later, but, you know, I would get occasional message from you in the night, late in the night, three in the morning, and you would just be, you know, doing exactly that, lying awake and wondering how, you know, what the future looked like and what the future held for your kids in a world that might not include you. Yeah. You know, but, um, I mean, it's... You know, it's a, it's a, it's not just confronting your own mortality, right? It's it's the, the long lived effects on the most precious people in your life. Yeah, exactly. You've been listening to Joe versus Cancer with Joe Mackenzie McLean and me, Colleen O'Hanlon. We know our conversations might be a tough listen, whether you've got cancer or you're caring for somebody who has. There's lots of support available and there's information in the show notes. This is a Stuff podcast produced by Chris Reed. You can listen to the full series at stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Kia kaha. Be strong. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.